of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In, re in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Hi everyone, um, if I haven't said hello to you today, um, my name's Sarah, if you haven't met me before, but I'm pretty sure most of you have. Um, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that game earlier because it was really educational. Some of these things that you've listened, like heard about for so long, you didn't even realise was an acronym. But sometimes I often have to Google some of the new acronyms because they always seem to have a new one every day and it's really hard to keep up. So one of my favourite acronyms is FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. And I think we all experience a little bit of this, right? We hear what other people are doing and we hear, oh, someone's going on holiday, someone's gone to this event, and we wonder, am I missing out if I don't do that too? I had a bit of FOMO recently when the tickets for Taylor Swift's Australian tour became available recently. Taylor Swift is one of the biggest pop stars in the world and as soon as her tour went on sale in Australia, it felt like absolutely everyone was trying to get tickets. My social media feed was full of the pictures of the wait screen where people were all sweating in the virtual line. The news was full of people logging on to all their various devices desperately trying to get these elusive tickets. And it made me stop and think. Should I be joining everyone and trying to get tickets too? Am I missing out on something here? I mean, I do enjoy Taylor Swift's music and I know a lot of the words to her songs and, in fact, me and my daughter really enjoy listening to her music in the car. So if I don't try and get tickets, am I missing out on something really, really good? But then I realised that I'm an introvert and I hate crowds of bajillion people, and that a ticket to a seat about a kilometre away from the action was probably going to clear out my bank account. 
and so it really wasn't worth the trouble. But can you relate? Maybe you felt like that you were missing out on something when you saw that someone had attended a sporting event or eaten at a fancy restaurant or gone on an amazing overseas holiday. Today we're going to be talking about how God made sure that we didn't miss out on something really, really good. And I'm talking better than Taylor Swift VIP tickets. This was something more valuable than anything that we can imagine. So let's pray before we start. Dear God, thank you that you've brought us all here today. Thank you that we have access to your word, the Bible. Please give me the right words to say and open our hearts as we look at Ephesians 3. And as we do that, give us the desire to respond to what you have to say to us today. Amen. So I know I did promise you a mystery. And if you're anything like me, when you hear the word mystery in the Bible, your ears prick up. Mysteries are exciting. Maybe there's a puzzle to solve. Maybe there's something in the Bible that we haven't discovered yet. So what is this mystery that Paul's writing about in this passage? Let's read verse 6 again. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery is that as a direct result of the gospel, Gentiles, people who are not Jews, can be included in God's people. The gospel, the message that God sent Jesus to die for us, eliminating the power of sin and giving us access to God, has only just been revealed to God's people. It's still brand new information to them. It was exciting and amazing and a salvation that was delivered in a way that they'd never expected. So this mystery, this idea that the Gentiles are now allowed to enjoy the blessings of God too, was so outside of the box, so strange to the people of the Ephesians that they were still trying to get their heads around the idea. So Paul is trying to explain to them, to help them understand that God's salvation is for everyone. So today we're going to look into this mystery further. We're going to look at how this mystery was part of God's plan from the beginning, a mystery hidden. We're going to look at how this mystery, in this mystery, God chooses to include all people, a mystery revealed. And we're going to look at how we should respond to this mystery, a mystery lived. So let's get started. If you happen to have a non-Jewish background, which I think is most of us, up until 2,000 years ago, you would have been referred to as a Gentile. And you had almost no chance of being part of God's family. That was a privilege only given to God's people, the Jews. God's inclusion of Gentiles, most of us, in his salvation plan was not a spontaneous move. God didn't just suddenly decide one day that everyone was invited. Paul says that in in verse 5 that God's plans were already in place for generations. And in verse 9 it says that the mystery was for ages past kept hidden by him who created all things. This was something that God was planning from the very beginning when he created the world. Back in Genesis 2, God promises Abraham that all nations will be blessed through his descendants. Lots of places in the Old Testament say that the nations will praise God's name. 
nations plural being not just the nation of Israel, but all people of the world. One example is in Psalm 117, and it says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. And God faithfully followed through on this too. Even though he already had the Jews as his chosen people to follow him, God didn't have to include the people who worshipped foreign gods, who were foreigners, who had no relationship, no uh, history with God like Israel did. But he did it anyway. When I was 19, which was a little while ago, I did a crazy thing. I left my family home in a quiet country town of um, the central west of New South Wales and I moved five hours' drive to live in Western Sydney. It was one of the most difficult things I'd ever done. And the hard thing was that I wasn't just moving away from family and home. I was having to adjust to a much bigger, more complicated place. It didn't feel like I belonged. I had to learn to drive again because... My hometown didn't have traffic lights or multiple lanes and roads. I had to decide who my GP was, who I was going to go to to get my hair cut, where I was going to get, do my grocery shopping because I didn't have those choices in my t- hometown. But in Sydney, I was spoilt for choice. If you've moved cities or even countries, then you will agree that it takes a long time to get your bearings, to, make, to feel like you belong. Even I, if I, after I had done all this and lived for Sydney, in Sydney for quite a while, I still didn't feel like I belonged because my friends would say, oh, she's from the country, she's a country girl, and maybe that was my small-town accent or my inability to pinpoint most of the Sydney suburbs on the map. Um, but it took me about 10 years or so to shake that country girl label and finally belong. I waited 10 years before I belonged. The Gentiles waited 2,000 years. But now Paul tells us that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are now invited to belong in God's kingdom. This idea might have been a surprise to the people in the early church, but it's definitely good news for us. Because guess what? We don't miss out on something really, really good. The gospel of Jesus. In verse 2, Paul describes the gospel as the administration of God's grace. In other words, how God chose to show his grace. God gives all people access to salvation by his grace. And I think it's important for us to sit back right now and be deeply grateful that God chose to show his grace to us. And he had planned to from the very beginning. What a wonderful thing to have all these people in this room from so many different backgrounds, from all nations, who call Jesus Lord. Praise God. I want to dig into our mystery a little bit more now. What does it mean to be part of God's people? Why is this such a big deal? And what do we have to look forward to? Paul writes in verse 6 that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, and sharers together of the promise in Christ Jesus. These are three things that the Gentiles of the early church, and we as modern-day believers, are able to claim as part of our Christian identity. First of all, 
Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They inherit the same promises that were made to Abraham thousands of years ago. The promises that Israel set their hopes on for generations. The promise that God made in Genesis chapter 22, that he will be their God and they will be his people. And that's now for everyone. I know a Christian couple and they live in Texas in the US and they're very proud of their Texan heritage. They love to wear their cowboy hats and their cowboy boots. They love to eat Tex-Mex, the Texan version of Mexican food. And they enjoy riding horses and shooting guns. They're the full Texan package. They have four children of their own. Um, but that God put adoption on their hearts. And after many years of preparation, logistics and paperwork, they welcomed a tiny three-year-old girl from China into their family. And they named her Hadara. Hadara is now six, but from the very beginning, from when she was three years old, she was fully part of their family. They bought her a little pink cowboy hat. She had cowboy boots, the tiny little ones, and she ate Tex-Mex with the family and she went on regular pony rides. There was no distinction between the family's biological children and their adopted child. She was fully integrated into their Texan way of life. Even though she spent her first three years in China, a world away, both physically and culturally, Hadara shares her Texan heritage of her family. It's like she's always been there. And in the same way, the Gentiles share the heritage of the Israelites. It was like they were there all along. We take it for granted that we can look back on the long history of God's salvation story and claim it as our own. But that was only made possible because God chose to include all people. As Christians, we now get to enjoy being part of the nation blessed by God and set apart as his chosen people. It goes without saying that that little girl, Hadara, didn't just inherit her family's heritage. She gained a special relationship. She became a daughter and a sister. So we also inherit a special relationship. The special relationship that Israel had with God that up until now was exclusive to them. But those of us who are Gentiles are now a child in the family of God. We've moved into the family residence. That God has put an adoption certificate signed and on the wall. Next in verse 6. Gentiles are members together of one body. They are unified as God's people, as a team. God doesn't let the Jews take the lead as the more experienced team member. Instead, the Jews and the Gentiles act as equal team members. Paul continues this idea in Ephesians 4, and we'll hear that from Jenny later in the year, but he uses this illustration in other ways in his letters too. In 1 Corinthians 12, he uses the body to explain how we have different gifts and although we have different gifts and abilities within the church, we are all equally valuable. This picture just demonstrates the type of unity and togetherness that believers share within the church. Last of all, verse 6 tells us that Gentiles are sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I talked about the promises made to Abraham earlier. This is slightly different. This is 
a sharing in the fulfilment of those promises in Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus, God sent Jesus to die, not just for Israel, but for all nations, for the whole world. In verse 12, we read, in him, Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So we can, without fear, joyfully approach God through the Spirit, confidently and boldly. We not, might not appreciate the privilege that this is, because this has always been our reality as a Christian. But for the Ephesians, this is a new and amazing thing. God was hidden from the Jews deep in the temple, and for the Gentiles, he was totally inaccessible. But now God is available to them. The God of the universe who put the stars in the sky, who has no beginning and no end, is a near and relational heavenly father. This is no small thing. So as part of the people of God, we get to inherit Israel's history of relationship with God. We get to be accepted into God's family as if we were there all along. We have status as equal members of the body of believers and we share in the fulfilment of God's promises through Jesus. What an incredible display of grace to us from God. So what do we do with this information? We can praise God for our, his grace and we can be thankful that we're included in his salvation plan. And that is a good, legitimate and right response. But let's find out how we can respond further. How can we live in the light of this mystery revealed? I want to turn our attention to Paul now in this passage because I think his response to having the mystery revealed to him is something we can learn from. So we're going to look at how Paul is unworthy of the, of the mystery, how he treasures the mystery, and now how he is driven to reveal the mystery. In verse 3, Paul quickly mentions his personal experience of having the mystery revealed to him. And you can read about it in Acts 9, but I'll give you the quick summary. Paul was a nasty dude. He was a prominent Jewish leader who made it his life's purpose to persecute and kill Christians. He was the last person you would have picked to drive the spread of the first century church. But God chose him to be his apostle. Rather dramatically, with Jesus appearing to him and being blind for three days, the point is that Paul was only an apostle because God chose him to be. So it's no wonder that in verse 8, he describes himself as the least of the Lord's people. He knows he's not worthy of the position that God's put, himself, put him in at all. But we need to remember that we're in a similar position. We're fellow sinful humans and we don't deserve the gospel either. One thing that my husband and I enjoy is going to discover new and delicious restaurants. We sometimes go to a place where a friend has recommended us or maybe we'll go to a place that has five-star reviews online. But I always get a really big thrill from going to a place that is relatively unknown, that doesn't have those five-star reviews online. But it's really, really good. 
The staff are friendly and welcoming, the atmosphere is inviting, the service is quick, and most importantly, the food is divine. There's nothing better. So once we've had that experience, we don't keep it to ourselves. We post it on Facebook, we tell our friends, we tell our family. We want everyone else to have the same amazing experience that we did because it was really, really good. So just as we treasure our yummy restaurant experiences, Paul treasures the mystery of the gospel. Paul finds himself in possession of something he knew was incredibly valuable, the knowledge of salvation revealed in Christ. In verse 8, he talks about the boundless riches of Christ. He acknowledges that the salvation of Christ is worth more than all the treasure and wealth in this world, and it's available to all people. And just like we don't keep that knowledge of that really good restaurant to ourselves, Paul wants to know, wants everyone to know about the amazing riches of Christ. He felt the weight and the privilege to preach the gospel to the nations and he went out and he did it. Paul took his privilege seriously. He was put in prison because he took his privilege seriously. So we can see throughout this passage that Paul doesn't approach the gift of the gospel as a given, something that he earned or he deserved, but as a gift of God's grace despite his sin, something to be treasured and something he couldn't keep to himself. How do you find yourself responding to this revelation of the gospel? Do you treat it like the precious thing that it is? Do you feel driven to share it? Paul was called to preach the gospel, but guess what? So are we. Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 was to go and make disciples of all nations. That applies to every one of us sitting here today. Are you thinking about who God might be putting in your path who needs to hear about Jesus? Who needs to know that they're included in God's salvation story? Maybe it's a colleague at work, a friend at uni, or maybe it's a member of your own family. Do you feel the urgency that Paul did to make sure that they don't miss out? This might feel like an impossible task, but it says in verse 7 that Paul became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given him by the working of his power. As fellow servants of the gospel, we are reliant on God's power through his Holy Spirit to open the hearts of people to hear the gospel. So we're reliant on his Holy Spirit. So be praying because we can't do it on our own. Rely on his spirit to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So... All of us, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're Australian or Egyptian or Italian or Asian, we can be thankful that God's mis- for God's mystery because it means that we are privileged to have the gospel revealed to us. We're privileged to share in the inheritance and promises of Israel. We're privileged to possess the riches of Christ Jesus. And we're privileged to share it with people around us who need to hear it. I want to pray for us all now, and I'm going to pray the same words 
Paul prayed for the Ephesians at the end of chapter 3. So please pray with me. We kneel before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And that we would know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.